Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to Two for the Matinee. Spoiler alert. Because these movies are about to get spoiled. So, apropos of today's um, movie selections, last night I watched um, Half Nelson with Ryan Gosling and uh, Anthony Mackie. Have you ever seen that? Why does that sound familiar to me? I don't think I have, but the name does sound familiar. Yeah, it's a sort of tortured teacher in an inner city school setting, although his demons are his own, not the other students in that movie. Um, I thought about suggesting it for next week, but then I decided not to. How old is it? I think it's from 2010. No, it's... 2000. No, no, no. I'm sorry. 2006. 2006. Is Gosling the teacher? Yes. And, and he's Mackie's like, is a troubled student? No, Mackie's like the neighborhood drug dealer. And Gosling is um, the teacher, but he also smokes crack on a regular basis. And he befriends one of his students who actually found him smoking crack in the locker room. And she kind of keeps his secret. And then she has a troubled home life and he kind of comes in and they become friends. And it's sort of this meditation on what makes a person a good person, what makes a person a bad person. And yeah. you can't be all those things at one time. It's really good. I liked it. Where did you watch it? It's on HBO. Okay, maybe I'll look into it. Mm-hmm. You might like that one. And Gosling's really good in it. He doesn't do like his stone face stuff that he usually does. <laughs> he was really good in, did you ever see The True Believer? No, I tried to watch that afterwards, but it wasn't free. It wasn't available, so I didn't watch it. I believe it was a made-for-Showtime uh, movie, because I remember seeing it right when it came out on Showtime. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't, nobody knew who he was at that time. Well, maybe the people who watched The Mouseketeers. But I remember liking that a lot, and he was really good in it, but I haven't seen it in what is it like 20 years so yeah i think it was it was before this movie obviously um and then i read the ebert's review of um half nelson and he talked about his role in true believer or the believer and that's when i was like oh maybe i should go look he's like yeah gosling is one of the finest actors working right now this role and his role in the believer cement his place and up and coming people up and coming actors like huh prescient there roger ebert did you like drive I love Drive. I forgot uh, where I came across this recently, but someone was making fun of Drive because any, anyone I'd spoken to who had seen it really loved that movie. And then I heard some dissent and I'm like, it was kind of valid. What, because, what was their um, sticking point with that? I think it had, it revol- revolved around the fact that all Gosling did throughout that movie was just like, he, instead of, he didn't say anything. He just had these long looks. Yeah. And that's true. But he also has lots of long looks in First Man. Have you seen First Man? No, that didn't really interest me. Yeah, it it was all right. Um, But he does have lots of moments of silence and contemplative looks going on. If you want to see a really weird, uh, somewhat ephemeral Ryan Gosling movie, look up a movie called Only God Forgives. I've seen that too. Because that's (sighs) the same director from Drive. Is that the same guy? Nicholas, who... Nicholas Redford Windig. Yeah, it's the same director. Yeah. I think I'd like that one more than Drive. But they were similar in sort of the way the main character behavior, behaves. There's a lot of long looks. Mm-hmm. I think that's that director's trademark. Yeah. Yeah, I wish you would. 
I think I like Ryan Gosling as an actor, and I wish he'd make better movies that weren't just. I feel the same way. I feel well. Blue Valentine was good. I really like that. That one. That was the one where he's yeah, married to Michelle Williams, and they're sort of the beginning and end of their relationship. Yeah, I agree with that. That was good. Then there's La La Land, which is like, ugh. Oh, I didn't even watch that. I didn't. Don't bother. No. It's awful. Was that made by the same guy who made Whiplash? It's like Damien? Damien Chazelle, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. I loved Whiplash. You know what I think it is, since we're like going off on this Ryan Gosling tangent? I think my problem with Ryan Gosling is he wants to make interesting choices. And I think the choices when he gets the script are interesting. And then the final product isn't as good as he thinks it is going in. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I'm trying to think of like, what's the last thing I saw him in? Because I have been suffering from insomnia, so I've been not sleeping. And I think what le- actually led me subconsciously to Half Nelson was Monday, maybe Tuesday night, I had watched at like 2 a.m. Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah. Where he's not the star. He's like a supporting character, but I just cannot stand Emma Stone. <laughs> um, I just can't buy her in any role unless it's like a Zombieland type role. Right. <laughs> I actually kind of agree with that now that I think about it. So this is actually my my problem with her in this movie is I'm not, I just can't buy her as this, even like someone that this character he plays would even remotely approach in a bar as a one night stand hookup. Hmm. And then, yeah. But, and then there's also another movie with her, with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling called Gangster Squad. And funny enough, Anthony Mackie is also in that movie. And, I don't hate the movie. It doesn't have really good reviews, but I like sort of historical drama and I like crime movies and gangster movies. And that's what this is kind of a throwback. And she plays the film, femme fatale Rita Hayworth character. And I'm like, why are they trying to make us believe that Emma Stone is a femme fatale character? It doesn't work for me. She's the weakest. She's Sophia Coppola. (laughs) She's a Sophia Coppola Godfather three of this movie. She ruins it. Well, she's a better actress than Sofia Coppola. Yes, true story. I, I guess it's, I think there's something sort of like almost like immature or childish about her mm-hmm. that like she doesn't have that gravity, which is fine because not all roles require that gravity. Right. Like, uh, what was it? Was it Easy A? Was that the one? Yeah, with her? Easy A. That's when she's a high school student. Yeah, just stick to that. <laughs> but that also worked in The Favorite because that character was like shallow and immature. Oh, right. She was in that. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah, worked that in that fit. movie. She yeah. actually worked really well in that movie. Yeah. Then Gangster Squad. I'm going to need you just to look at the like trailer for Gangster Squad. I've seen and you're it. Like, yeah. No, no, the movie? It. Yeah. It felt like um, it was all, it kind of reminded me of um, LA Confidential, but just like it had sort of all the ingredients, but it just didn't. Didn't work out. Yeah. It was a little too like flashy and. It was too slick. Blo- yeah, blockbuster, you know? Yeah, it was too slick for its own good. Yeah. It, it needed to be a little bit more Chinatown around the edges. Yeah, it needed to be darker and grittier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But it's not terrible. I don't think it's terrible. No. It's, enter- it's entertaining. Yeah, it's a streamer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gangster Squad is a streamer, for sure. But yeah, so that took me down the Ryan Gosling rabbit hole, I guess, of this week, where I ended up watching Half Nelson, which was a uh, role he got nominated for an Academy Award for. Oh really? Yeah, and it's wow. and it is deserved. He's a, he's for best really, actor for best actor. Yes, wow. he's really good in that. 
I heard good things about Lars and the Real Girl, but I never watched it. I've never watched that one either. Hmm. I'm going to see who he was up against with Best Actor. What year was that? Maybe I I'll think try, two, try to 2000 guess. and... Oh, okay. Yeah, you can guess. Hold on. <laughs> no, if you tell me what year, I'll try to guess. Who, who was up? Okay, yeah. hold on. Was that the King's speech? Mm-mm. No. You're close. There is a king. It's the last king of Scotland. Oh, well, that's a great movie. And Forrest Whitaker, Whitaker. was excellent. In, yeah. yeah, and then Peter O'Toole for Venus, Leonardo DiCaprio, Blood Diamond, Gosling, Half Nelson, and Will Smith, The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, that's, that's an eclectic mix. Very much so. Not the usual heavy hitters. Mm-mm. You know, you mentioned Emma Stone. I, I think I feel the same way about Margot Robbie. Um, I don't know if I have liked her in anything she's done. Not that I don't think she's a qualified actress, but I caught the last like 40 minutes of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Yes, I've seen it several times. Yeah, I wanted to ask you if, if you loved the uh, the look of the movie. Cause I love, oh yeah, I mean... <laughs> They did such a good job, especially because it's like that late 60s aesthetic that we love so much from like movies like Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. <laughs> well, <laughs> and isn't it more 70s? It's 69. Oh, is that's it? Like, yeah, because okay, that's yeah. the Manson murders. Right. Yeah. So it's like lead up to this late 60s. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. I watched it because I love that. And then I thought the movie was good. I liked it. Yeah, well, I watched it uh, at... I think I, did I watch it at the music box in 70 millimeter? I saw it like I think when it came out around that time. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember leaving the theater and like thinking like there's parts I loved and then parts I didn't like and I just couldn't come to an opinion about it. And then I caught the last half hour or 40 minutes of it the other day. And I realized I love the stuff with DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, but all the stuff with Margot Robbie just I did not enjoy. And I thought it didn't contribute to the plot whatsoever besides just setting up the whole like Manson thing. But I felt like if you took out all her scenes, it wouldn't have made a difference to the movie at all. And she was just like a very one-dimensional character, just very uninteresting. You know what? I, I, I'm going to agree with you because you didn't really need her. You knew they lived on Cielo, Cielo Drive. You knew that he'd gone out to the Spawn Ranch. So you knew what was coming. Yeah. Um, there's that scene where Manson goes next door. You didn't even have to show that part where he goes up to the house and talks to um, Sharon, Tate, and Jay Sebring, you didn't even have to show that. You could have just had Brad Pitt wave to Manson. We didn't, you're right. We didn't need any of that. They could have, her character could have been like the other, like sort of like minor celebrity characters like Steve McQueen or Roman Polanski, mm-hmm. where it's just kind of, they pop, pop in for like whatever you're trying to do in that scene, but they're not like a main character. The only real reason to have her there is to set up that like, ticking time clock at the end where he's like what's happening hour by hour to build that tension so it's useful there because i guess if they didn't have like the plot with her then you can you wouldn't be able to do that and it would take away from the tension because you know it's coming well that actually i'm gonna have to push back on that again on my own answer to that because the whole thing is the fairy tale of the world if that murder those murders hadn't taken place so you kind of do need her and you do need um all the characters in the house and polanski and everyone the fairy tale of the murder not taking place 
is only interesting in so far that it creates that tension for us because we're expecting it to happen and then it veers mm-hmm. left. Right. So it's like that that whole thing. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's her. Maybe maybe it's know. maybe if it was someone someone else. Yeah. Maybe instead of Margot Watson, Roby. Emma Watson. And um, really, Emma Watson. That was a joke. No. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, uh, no. Um. Yeah, I don't know who could have done it. But it's just also just her character just had no depth. It was just, she was kind of smiling and just like being kind of ditzy and I don't know. Yeah. Like a, like a flower child. Yeah, I don't know. That's something we can save for later. Yeah. Maybe we'll come back to it. Well, since, <laughs> since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood takes place in Los Angeles, should we segue into <laughs> another movie about Los Angeles? Let's do it. So my pick this week is 187. It is it is a 1997 movie starring Samuel L. Jackson, John Hurd, Kelly Rowan, and Clifton Collins Jr. And it's about a teacher who, after being stabbed nine times by a student at work in New York City, starts over in Los Angeles as a substitute teacher. There, he refuses to be a victim anymore. Yeah, that's a good uh, recap. I'm going to start with the opening sequence because I loved the color palette of this movie. And I like the part in the in New York, it's all blue and gray. Mm-hmm. And then once he's in LA, it's all like gold and brown. And I really yes. like that that aesthetic of it. <laughs> I, I did not like the color palette of this movie. You didn't? No. And it really, when uh, he, so he's riding his bike through the city, which I thought was a great opening sequence. And he gets to the school, and then everything washes out into blue. I hated it. And then I thought it was overly saturated with color when he gets to California, and I didn't like that either. Right. Well, I guess it's supposed to show the contrast, right? That's the idea. Yeah, but I mean, there's obvious contrast because he's riding his bike through like this crowded, congested city, and then they show these great shots of him living in the valley and like the desert, basically. Yeah. So we didn't really need. I just thought it was a. It felt gimmicky, is what I'm trying okay. to say. It felt okay. a little bit gimmicky to me, and right. I I didn't like it. All right. Is there anything you did like about this? I didn't dislike the movie. Um, I've never seen it before. I actually thought that Samuel L. Jackson did a fantastic job. And I think the script did him a disservice in the last third of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think uh, the, the Pyrrhic victory setup Mm-hmm. was uh was a little too on the nose right because it like the payoff was great but then when he's doing the tutoring session and and this his student doesn't want to give the speech and he's like are you afraid it's gonna be a pyrrhic victory that came out of nowhere but having seen right. the movie before i'm like okay i get it that's a setup because you really want to pay it off but i don't know that's not to you at all I, I mean, it did, but it was like hitting me over the head. Whereas like last week we had a movie where we had a setup with the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, yeah. which paid off in a completely beautiful way that was well done. And it wasn't like slam, bam, thank you, ma'am, knock you out over the head with no. it. And I just think that we have this great 
performance of this teacher who's serious, like he's suffering from PTSD. He's suffering from, you know, the trauma of this attack and he's wrestling with a lot of issues, his desire to teach, his inability to actually be the teacher he needs to be for these students. And then it sort of devolves into this kind of really bad thriller murder movie. Yeah, that's true. It's a little, it's a little bipolar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, yeah, it's hard. I don't know. Maybe they needed to set up his shift a little better because it did kind of come out of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. And it didn't seem like I like movies about revenge, and maybe that's why one of the reasons I like this movie. But it didn't. The revenge kind of came out of nowhere. Right. Um, I, I think yeah. there are ways that this could have been much better um, because, you know, you have this teacher and he murders these terrible students. But I would have liked it if those deaths were ambiguous. Like, did he murder them or did he not murder them? Yeah. I think, and, you know, the other teacher, um, the female teacher, Rita. No, not Rita. That's the girl he was trying to help. That was the student he was trying to help. Ellen. Uh that ro- romance, I like that. And then she could have been like, well, is he trying to kill? Did he kill these students? Did he not? I don't know. What's can he? His psychological condition is all over the place. There are ways that it could have been a really thoughtful character study of someone dealing with trauma and then right. sort of like the issues that we have with school violence. And there was a chance for that. And they wasted the performances from that they were getting because everyone in the movie is really good. I mean, so uh, Clifton Collins Jr., who played, yeah. I think he's one of the most underrated actors of like the last 20 yeah, years. Was Do you remember him? Cesar, in, Cesar. Yeah, you remember him in Capote? It's like completely different character. And he's got such an amazing range. I, I wish he was in more stuff. Oh, yeah. He was one of the murderers in Capote. Yeah. And he's just like, you take this movie where he's just right. like, you, be, you believe this guy, right? He's a gangster. Yeah. yeah. He's in a quote unquote tagging crew. <laughs> And then you take his role in Capote where he's one of the the murderers and like Capote's kind of, if I remember correctly, sort of manipulating him into almost this like emotional relationship. Yeah, right? yeah. That's and he's a good just com- completely different in that. And like everything I've ever seen him in, he's just like, you, you, it's like, it's not him being someone, he, he like embodies that character. And I just, I love him as an, a- an actor and I, I wish, I wish he got offered better stuff and more stuff. So I think he was one of the strong points here. He was. And there's that great scene. I don't know if it's with him or with the character that plays Benny. Oh, it is. It's with Benny. Sorry. So this has nothing to do with Cesar. But Samuel L. Jackson writes him a note because he's kicking them out of class because he's been disruptive. And he's like, you have to get out of my class. He writes him a note to like go to the office. And he hands him this note and his hands got like this little tremble going on. And I just mm-hmm. like little subtle things like that. And like, oh, Sam Jackson, this is a great performance, except for the end. Right. You know, but so like I would say the, the last act of the movie isn't super great, but I actually do like the resolution of the film because I feel like so Sam Jackson at that point, he's like lost everything. He's a man with nothing to lose. Right. So you could see him just kind of like going off the deep end and then um Cesar like he thinks he's gonna be like this badass he's, he's gonna play he's gonna he's gonna really make him suffer by playing Russian roulette just but just to, like make, to mentally torture the teacher right but yeah. then Sam Jackson's like you know you're all about being a tough guy like let's see you do this so he like challenges his honor so I think that actually works mm-hmm. and I like how they like they both end up shooting themselves 
Right. So for me, I think that worked well and I liked how that ended. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that at that point, Sam Jackson has nothing to lose. And then the kid takes the la- takes that last bullet, even though he didn't have to. And it's like, oh, man, that was worthless for both of you. Right. Well, it was a Pyrrhic victory. It was a, yes, exactly. <laughs> for, both for both of them, it was a Pyrrhic <laughs> victory. Double Pyrrhic. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing I liked about this movie is, uh, it, I guess it sort of came on the heels of movies like Dangerous Minds. Yeah. And uh, what was the one with Jennifer? Was it Jennifer Garner? The poets, the poetry? Or is that somebody else? Oh, the, 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 no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, these white saviors coming into these inner city schools and like saving the black kids. Like, I, those were always so cringy to me. Well, and look, and that's why this Half Nelson movie was so good because it was the white teacher who's the crackhead who's redeemed by his relationship with the inner city student. Like, the student saves the white teacher. And I was yeah. like, ah, I like that little flip the script there. Two teachers, uh, inner city teachers dealing with sort of these struggles and they want to save their their kids and they want to be there for the kids but they can't save themselves in a way and they can't they can't get back to that passion because there's something missing inside of them right and there's a yeah and you have that tension between like the the administration is just like out for to protect themselves right so he's got no help from there from them and i think that there's like this movie kind of hints at it and i feel like it could have also gone uh done more done a better job of exploring this issue of sort of nature versus nurture, right? Because that mm-hmm. gets brought up a couple of times because these, these kids are sort of told that they're a product of their environment, but he, he pushes back on it. Sam Jackson's like, you know, we all make our, we're all responsible for our choices. And I think they could have done a deeper dive into that instead of just kind of making it so, I don't know. Yeah. In a way, I- in a way that was too black and white. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was sort of too simplistic on a lot of things where they could have gone deeper and used more subtext. Like he, um, he's like this guy who's gone through this trauma, but he's also a science teacher, but he's a science teacher who's a deeply religious person. So they could have done something with that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things I think in more skilled hands, this would have been a a much better movie. And the director, I looked up uh, his filmography. He also did uh, Waterworld. And Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> yeah, he had a great relationship with Kevin Costner. I think until Waterworld, maybe then they're like, we're going to part ways. Yeah. Well. But Waterworld, I feel like, is unfairly maligned. So I'm going <laughs> to disagree there. <laughs> you take a hard pass at discussing Waterworld right now. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I mean, I think this movie is a streamer. I, I liked, I personally liked the look of it. I liked... I think the acting across the board was great. Um, it had like a lot of great scenes and uh, sequences. And despite, despite some of the plot flaws, I, I enjoyed watching it again. Um, that sequence where he gets sort of prison shanked in the school hallway yeah. was great. I thought that was, I mean, it was kind of, it was horrifying and scary and you, you're, I was sort of like, oh my God, because it wasn't just like, oh, stab him one time. It was like when they do it in the prison, it's like stab, 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 stab. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Did you that recognize Method Man? Yes, I did. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Method Man is going to stab Sam Jackson. <laughs> it's going down now. Yeah. But, and then there's that little part in the movie later where he finds another nail, like 
jammed into like a piece of wood, kind of making the same kind uh, of thing that stabbed yes, him. Yes, Cesar was carving stuff into the, wasn't he carving stuff into the desk? Yeah, and it's yeah. with that same weapon, that homemade weapon that was used to uh, right. stab him in the back. Oh, that was great too. Um, I'm sort of torn on this one because, I mean, I pretty much will watch anything almost. But this one was rough for me because I just felt like the logic of it fell apart at the end. That's fair. That's so um, I'm going to split it this way. If you really like Samuel L. Jackson uh, and you want to see a movie where he does a really fine job in the role that he's been given that kind of is different from what we've seen him in lately, I highly recommend this. But if you don't want to see that, then I'm going to say skip it. I think that's, yeah, that's a great, I'd say that's a great assessment because at this point, Samuel L. Jackson is kind of almost seen as like a caricature of himself. And this is like a good, honest, dramatic role for him mm-hmm. where he doesn't yell all that much. There's, no, he, he yells doesn't. a few times. But it's not like the yelling that, you know, on like right. Capital One Snakes commercials. On Snakes on the plane. Snakes on the plane. Capital One commercials. So. Yeah. so this is a really good, it's, it's nuanced. It's like we don't really get to see Sam Jackson being nuanced anymore. Yeah. So this is a really nuanced performance from him. And I just, uh, something else I remember that I like about this is like the, the character arc of, of him and Cesar, because they're kind of parallel, right? Because they both, they kind of start off in different places, places than, than they end up. Because Cesar isn't like, Cesar isn't that bad, I think, at the beginning. No, he's not. He's just sort of gets bad. He go, right. he, turn, he turns bad. But they keep like one-upping each other and sort of driving each other into this terrible place. Whereas if one of them like chose to sort of get off the bus at any point before that, then right. it would have ended differently. So I think it, I, I think it did a, a good job there kind of showing the parallel development of both of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when did you first see this movie? Do you remember? That's a good question. I think I saw it... Um, Probably on HBO, like a year after it came out, whenever it was on HBO. So probably around the time it came out. Okay. But I I have rewatched it since then. And that's why I picked it, because I I think I rewatched it a few years ago. Again, it was the last time, and I liked it. I actually have it on DVD. Oh, okay. So So it's a legit legit like. Yeah. All righty. So let's move on to uh, another film about teachers. It's like from the inner city to the suburbs. Yeah. My pick this week was the 1998 film, The Faculty, which is a sci-fi teen horror film in which a ragtag group of students in a small Ohio town discover that their high school teachers and fellow classmates have been body snatched, and it's up to them to find and destroy the alien queen in order to save everyone. I saw this movie Christmas Day, 1998, when it came out in the movie theaters. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember going to see this with a group of my friends. And the experience in the movie theater was one of those where everyone's like laughing, clapping at the screen. And I actually remember this being one of the more enjoyable theater going experiences of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's really funny because watching it now, I mean, I still like it. I haven't seen it. I don't think I've seen it in the interim, maybe one or two other times on TV. But yeah, everyone was having a raucous time in the theater during this movie. I think, yeah, I, I, I could see teenagers watching this and having a raucous time yeah i can see that 
Because remember, this is like before it's totally become sort of a trope, the style of movie, right? Because Scream had just come out the year before. So this right. is right after Scream. What trope are you specifically talking the about? The teenage, smart alecky, self-aware high school students kind of thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. Pop culture, super pop culture literate kids. So I saw this movie as sort of combining two genres, or I don't even know if they're called genres, but two sort of... Uh, subjects one is the body snatcher genre yes the other one is the teacher versus student genre yes and i felt like it didn't really do a a good job in either case really i mean as far as body snatcher movies there's a lot of them and there's a lot better ones for my tastes Mm -hmm. um like the the original body snatchers movie the black and white one with um is bruce no that's not bruce dern Kevin McCarthy, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I watch it's on Crackle right now. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I watched it the other day. I love the what was it, like the late seventies, early eighties one, which is not considered great, but Jeff Goldblum oh, and Donald Sutherland, like they're just really good in it, and I like the look of that movie because it's like in a big city. Uh, and I know there was that one from the early nineties, which I have seen, but it's it's pretty forgettable. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, those are like the straight body snatcher movies, but there's been so many other ones. But I just, uh, yeah, this this kind of felt uh, derivative of those. And then as far as like teacher versus like the faculty versus the student body, for whatever reason, this made me think of class of 1999. Have you seen that? Was that a show? No, that was a movie where it's like the inner city in the near future, like an inner city high school. And the kids are so bad that the, like the administration replaces some of the teachers with androids. I'm like, (laughs) Pam Greer's one of them. What? I've never even heard of this. But it's a sequel to a movie called The Class of 1984, which I've never seen. And I looked up and it got really good reviews and it's on Tubi. So I'm wondering if we should watch it and talk about it next week. Well, I feel like this is more of a Body Snatchers meets Breakfast Club. Uh, More than anything else. In the sense that you've got different members of the high school casts. Right. You've got your archetypal high school students, the jock, the cheerleader, the weirdo, Ali Sheedy type, um, the nerd, the loser. They all come together slash like, what's that other movie we talked about? Oh, um, Night of the Living Dead style too, because they all come together. The group dynamics. The group dynamics to fight off their malevolent external threat. The other thing this had, and like... Plot holes, I feel like that's low-hanging fruit. And in general, I think plot holes aren't a problem if you're like engaged and entertained by the movie. Right. But in this case, since I, I kind of wasn't. So the big twist at the end is that the new girl's like the queen, right? Yeah. One, we never see her drink any liquid throughout the entire movie. Yeah, you know what? That's a major problem. <laughs> I agree. They never, <laughs> they never set up that she, in any way, shape, or form, set up that she was the antagonist right never and i didn't understand there was like points throughout the movie where she had people alone she could have easily like body turned them, them but she was just like i don't know if she was doing some weird like sociological study of this group <laughs> <laughs> she's like observing them or what yeah um, I, there's a but then it's also you know i was forgiving of it because it is a basically a b team team movie right yeah it's, good cast good cast yeah the cast that. is really good yeah and I actually really like the the football game, especially like uh, the Robert Patrick uh, shots there because he's like like sort of the mean, serious coach throughout. And then he's like just having a ball 
seeing all his like alien students just crushing the opposition he's like high-fiving them and well, stuff. yeah and then in the stands the kids are holding up signs that say kill yeah. <laughs> it's like really extreme yeah that was that was a high point for me i did there was a couple there's a lot of little little subtle things that they do so they have the couple well that's not really that subtle but they have the couple that's like always fighting and then they get body snatched and they're like super lovey-dovey afterwards yeah. and then of course the coach who's the first scene that we see the coach in, he's like flipping over benches and screaming <laughs> yeah. at kids and just being completely off the rails. And then he gets body snatched. He's like super calm, demeanor, relaxed, still menacing, but yeah. you know, more relaxed, like easy to talk to, approachable coach. So there are little things like that. that I and, like. and the fact that the female body snatchers all became sexy after they got body snatched. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My issue, though, like Kevin Williamson, who, you know, the guy who wrote Scream, and he's also the writer, producer, creator of Dawson's Creek. I don't know what his deal is with having like student teacher relationships. A few things in this movie that are like cringy and uncomfortable, and that's one of them. And remember Dawson, I don't know if you remember when Dawson's Creek came out, but the relationship that Dawson, no, Pacey was having with the teacher. I never watched it, so I'm not aware of it. It was like the big sort of scandal about that show, and it yeah. was getting a bunch of write ups and like uh, commentaries and opinion pieces written about the relationship between a student and a teacher. Right. And he does it here too with Zeke and uh, what's Famke Jansen's character's name? Miss Burke, with Miss yeah. Burke. But they kind of let it slide because he's failed a year. Remember, he got held back. So technically, he's probably yeah. 18. <laughs> Well, and she's she's a female teacher. He's a male student. So as a society, we're willing to let, the, let that let go. That slide. We'll, let that yeah. we'll let that one slide. We'll let that The other thing is there's a very sort of blase casualness to the violence in this movie. They like the way they pull the guns on each other. And they're not even sure these people are body snatched, but they're like ready to like kill their other students and the teachers. And then, ugh, I don't know. I didn't like it. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah, I think if I was hanging out with some friends and they, one of them pulled a gun on me, I would take that. It would be a difficult experience for me. Yeah, it just, there was that. And the scene where they take the uh, paper slicer, because, you know, John Stewart's character turns out to be an alien and he attacks mm -hmm. the students. And yeah. there's just like, Josh Hartnett's character just snatches his paper slicer, right. takes the blade off, and he's just like slicing. I'm like, oh, that was really easy for you to do that. So one thing I was uh, wondering throughout this is... Uh, so it was directed by Robert Rodriguez, and mm -hmm. when you suggested this and mentioned that, I was intrigued by it because I've you know seen his stuff since then. Did did that the fact that he direct directed did that did you see that in anything like in any of the scenes or like did anything stand out about it? like oh yeah that's Robert Rodriguez? Um, maybe in the way that we have like the cuts, there's like these really quick jump cuts onto teachers' faces, and there's sort of um, a, a campiness in some of the scenes. I think that would be more like a Robert Rodriguez style. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of anything. Well, and I think it might, might go to your point about the violence because I'm thinking of, um, what was it once upon a time in Mexico, right? With Johnny yeah. Depp, like that had gr gratuitous, almost comical violence. Right. So I think yeah, him, and, him and Tarantino. This was like, not, I think it would have worked um, if they were older, but it just seemed weird because they're high school students. Yeah. And they live in Ohio. They live in like this small sort of depressed town in Ohio, which I thought was also really cool because the school was like shit. <laughs> they like their school and they're the kind of school right. where all the money goes to the football team instead of any other sorts of things in the school. I guess this movie, they, this movie could have been great. Maybe if they took it in a, a more interesting direction, a, like a smarter direction where almost 
these like make it kind of like a home alone situation at the end where they like set up like traps or something for the teachers like make it besides just making it very like blunt you know or like it would force them to use their intellect more because okay yeah i get that yeah because they really don't use it at all they just sort of like find out that these aliens need water and josh hartnett's character makes this like caffeine ecstasy mix which caffeine it's a diuretic, so oh. boom, bam. They dehydrate the aliens and they win. The Mary Beth secret alien queen mutates into this ginormous alien creature. And he has like this one little skinny pen di- vial of this drug and it takes her out. It's a lot of caffeine. <laughs> yeah, I would think that that would kill the kids yeah. who are snorting it. Oh, another, another great Body Snatcher movie is The Thing, which one of the strengths of that movie is like the tension building, which... This didn't also have... No, but this did have an homage to the thing when they had their snort the ecstasy pen scene instead of the test the blood scene. That's true. Which uh, that that scene in uh, the thing is like really, like when you're talking about tension, like that is full of tension and it has Keith Keith David in it, (laughs) whom we both love. Uh, That's a great scene. So um, you know what? I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of this, but I, I can see why you like it. I mean, I I would call this a nostalgia movie for you. Yeah, it is we, totally. We have we all have those movies that aren't yeah, great, but we love yeah. them because of nostalgia, and that's yeah, fine. and that's fine. Yeah, I agree, and I like how you know what in this movie, drugs were the answer. Actually, that's that's pretty funny. I'll give it that. That's a that that was a clever little thing they did. Yeah, but they weren't like, even real drugs. <laughs> no, they were caffeine pills. Basically, it was like it was caffeine and some other household stuff. He said. <laughs> yeah, he had this elaborate like lab setup, but I think he could have just taken like caffeine <laughs> pills, crushed them, and, and some uh, baking powder. <laughs> yeah, and then apparently when you do a lot of caffeine, you giggle a lot. Yeah, he uh, was tweaking. Let him yeah. tweak, man. <laughs> But I did. I like Josh Hartnett in this. I I feel like Josh Hartnett is underrated. Oh, okay. I have a strong, strong dislike for Josh Hartnett. Do you really? Because you know how last week I said I watched Virgin Suicides. Yeah. Yeah, and he uh, uh, Trip Fontaine. He plays Trip Fontaine in that, and he's like, oh, I like that. I liked him in that, and I liked him in this. Yeah, I don't know what it is about him. It's like his eyes are too close together. Or they are very close together, but Ryan Gosling's eyes are very close together as well. Sure. Yeah, I don't know what it is about Josh Hartnett. I've always had a strong dislike for him, but uh, like every girl I know has a crush on him. So I clearly. wouldn't go that far. I just said I liked him as Trip Fontaine. Okay. All right. So I'm going to say it's a skip it for me, but you know, if uh, you grew up in the late 90s and you went to high school around this time, you'd probably be into it. So probably a streamer for other folks. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to, you know, watch the one of the movies in that sort of late 90s teen horror cycle, this would definitely be probably one of the better ones because that was like the year, like 96 onwards or all those movies, like basically like this right. one and Scream. Yeah, Some of them of- are good though. Some of them like The Craft. The Craft was good. There's a lot of ensemble movies because, like, I, I know what you did last summer. That, yeah. Was Usher in that or was it somebody? <laughs> no, Brandy. Brandy was in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Right. Yeah, that was like a, that was a trope. Like the weird, like the ensemble high school horror. Mm-hmm. Movies, like uh, uh, there's that. There's one called uh, Disturbing Behavior. I don't know if you remember that one, which was also, but it's like James Marsden. Um, ah, what's his face from um, Carnival? Nick Stahl is in that one. Hmm. Yeah, I 
that that name i do know the name i don't know if i ever saw it mm-hmm. uh, one of the better ones though is halloween h2o i read the i haven't seen it i actually read the treatment to that um it's yeah it sounded okay i don't know maybe the movie's better than the treatment but uh actually i just had a thought about something we another movie we talked about what was a movie that we talked about in an earlier episode that had teenage disaffected teenagers in it oh um Nightmare, so on Night- Elm Street. Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. So now I'm wondering, like, we all these movies probably came out for a reason. Like, okay, obviously they were, like, success because, I don't know, there's, like, this big demographic of customers for them. But do they say something about that time of how teenagers in that time perceived the world? Well, I was a teenager in the late 90s, so this would be a contemporary film for my age demographic. All of these would be. Um but what's the theme? Like, I'm they all kind of have the same I'm, theme, right? And w- well, how, one is, that, I don't, well, one is that suburb, suburbia is a secret horror show. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because um, they're all set. There's none of these movies are set in the cities. They're all set in either, like, uh, small towns or the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So small town America slash sub- suburbs are where all your nightmares live. And it's, but it's all underneath the surface, right? Yeah. And you can never trust the adults. And parents are always going to be either absentee, not listen to you, or dead. Because that's how all the parents are in these movies. Yeah. <laughs> so Shooter McGavin, <laughs> Elijah Wood's dad. And yeah. <laughs> I, one, I wanted to know, I wanted the character backstory on this guy because he's wearing like this weird flashy suit. I'm like, where does he work? Is he like, a car salesman like what job does he have and he's like he's that was the only time we saw a parent mm-hmm. you never see parents in these show in these movies and it was elijah wood plays this very quiet nerdy character and like because of this one thing his parents don't believe him about they're just like you're grounded for life well they're basically like you're going to a psychologist or psychiatrist too yeah, he's, which is weird because he's. It sounds like he was a perfect kid until then. Like, yeah, I mean, he was bullied, obviously, because the yeah. first time we see him, he's getting uh, like smashed into the flagpole. But yeah, we only see his parents. But did you notice? So Zeke's parents, Josh Hartnett, his mom is off somewhere. She's just not there. And like, travels uh, the world. Travels the world. She's never several home. exotic places were mentioned. Perhaps she's a scientist. Right, and then um, Delilah's mom. She even says, "Ever since my dad died, my mom's been drinking like too much." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there was, and then Mary Beth doesn't have parents. She never mentions it, but she's an alien queen, so it doesn't matter. And that's it. Like the parents that are mentioned, they are absentee. Right. I think maybe you know the late '90s. You know, we were going. This is towards the end of this economic boom that we were seeing during the Clinton years, and so there's this huge class of affluent folks living in the suburbs and maybe for the, the kids of those people, it's just like, it wasn't enough. It was all superficial and they all felt kind of lost and they were looking to drugs and stuff to, to well, like, well, let's, how old were you in 1998? In 1998, you, I was 15. Okay. So that's teenager, yeah. but you lived in the city. No, I lived in the suburbs if we were poor. So I couldn't really relate to these kids. Okay, so I live in the suburbs, and I will tell you that um, we were the kids that our parents left us a home, a home alone from, like, the age of, like, seven, basically, you know, the right. la- Gen X. So we're the last of the kids who, like, didn't have helicopter parents. So we're used to our parents being absentee, and so maybe that's why you never see parents in any of these movies, yeah. because they're just not ever around. That makes like, sense. You know? Yeah. 
and now when you see parents in movies they're like around but they're like dysfunctional yeah that's true so if you want a movie that speaks to that generation watch the faculty yeah the last generation before the helicopters descended (laughs) so what do we got for next week so my pick for next week is oh wait 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 before we get to that so the challenge for this week was to connect the faculty to Hiroshima Monomore. Can we do it? <laughs> oh my god. Does it does it seem like the relationship between Zeke and his teacher was had some of the same undertones <laughs> as between him and her? There's a no. lot of <laughs> There's a deep obsession. No, but you know what relationship might have some undertone to it was Stokely and Stan, the uh, sort of goth chick and the athlete. Mm, yeah. They sort of found, found each other. They saw each other. She understood his need to not, because right. he's like the jock who wants to be an academic and no one took him seriously. And she's like, yeah, good for you. They both had trauma in their lives. His trauma was that well, her trauma was that her dad left and her mom's an alcoholic. No, his... that was Delilah. That's not Stokely. We don't know about Stokely's home life. Oh, we don't know why she's weird? No, <laughs> no, she just is. Okay. Well, his trauma was that he was supposed to get a bad grade, but because he played well in a, in a football game, his teacher gave him an A, and that really traumatized him. It did traumatize him. I think, yeah. I mean, I think that showed Stan as someone who has a little bit of like uh, strong character and honor. Cause he's like, I, you know, I, I deserve the grade I got. I don't need to be treated special just cause yeah. I play football. Interestingly, I think he was, he had the, the character with the most depth because he did have a bit of an arc. Everyone else. I mean, they were kind of the same throughout, right? Yeah. Elijah Wood, like he was meek. I guess he became somewhat heroic at the end, but it wasn't like a huge change. It was just kind of like a, a switch flipped at the end. And it was self-preservation more than anything else. Right. But with, um, with the quarterback, the former quarterback, he did like, he had some depth to it. Mm-hmm. I so liked I did, his character. Yeah, I did like him too. Mm-hmm. All right, so challenge failed. Yeah, it did. So what do you have for me next week? Next week, funny enough, I have 2016's The Nice Guys, directed by Shane Black, starring <laughs> Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Um, all right, we're going to go a little, a little left field. Have you ever seen the movie Diva? No, I've never it's heard a of it. French movie from the early eighties. No. All right, we're gonna go with Diva. Okay. Yep. Looking that up right now as we speak. Yeah, I was supposed to go see it at the music box last year, but I had I, I don't remember if I had tickets to it. But something came up and I, I had to cancel. I think I got like sick or something. So yeah, I was disappointed. It's a it's a weird one. I think I saw it because my parents rented it from the Skokie Public Library at some point. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I really liked it. So cool. Let's see. All right. I'm excited for this one because it's completely out of left field. Nothing I've ever heard of. I'm going to go in blind. I'm not even going to read anything about it. I'm just going to watch it. Great. Yeah. I mean, uh, let me know if you have <laughs> problems finding it and then I'll see if I can help you out. All right. Well, I'm Sydney. And I'm Jake. And you've been listening to Two for the Matinee. Join us next week when we discuss Shane Black's dark comedy the nice guys and 1981's french movie i know nothing about called diva listen to you later